You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Um, we got a full morning this morning. We're actually going to cap off our morning through water baptism, celebrating with a number of individuals through uh, publicly declaring their faith in Jesus. So we, this, is, this morning is a morning of celebration. This morning we also, um, I'm really excited to start a theme. There's going to be a theme for our church for the next 10 months. It's a long time. But it's been brewing in my heart for quite some time. Um, a theme called Live the Message. And it's based on a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. You hopefully saw that card on your seat when you found your spot this morning. That's for you to take with you. For you to begin to write that on your heart for you to begin to t- take it into your home into a place where you'll see it and you can begin praying that over your life. The passage is, is this. It's, it's Paul speaking to the believers in Corinth. He says, And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than choosing to use clever and persuasive, persuasive speech, he relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, I did this so you wouldn't trust in human wisdom but in the power of God. That was Paul's strategy as he lived life for a number of years amongst, amongst the Corinthians. He said, I didn't want them to be swayed and wooed by my awesome, slick tactics. I wanted them to be convinced by the raw, authentic power of God. And I've just had this question brewing in my heart for a number of months as, we've, as we're kicking off this school year, prepping to kick off for this school year. It's been this question, what would it look like if a group of people actually contended and believed that the power of God was relevant to transform their own lives and the lives of those around them. What would it look like? What would it be like if we actually believed that the power of God meant something for the grind and the muck and the mire, the brokenness of the world around us? What if? This is close to my heart. My own story. I've seen before my eyes. Even as a young kid, I grew up in church. I grew up around the adornment and the superficialities of Sunday morning churchianity, where you put on a smile, you you dress right, you follow the rules, you do what you're told. And I began to realize quickly, just as a young kid, a young punk, between the ages of four to nine, my family life was extremely chaotic. And I began to realize, even though we were in church Sunday morning, Wednesday night, even Saturday morning for prayer prayer meeting, I began to realize that Sunday morning churchianity did not translate to the brokenness of my family life. It just didn't mean anything for that. The smiles and the following the rules and the just going through the motions meant nothing for the conflict that I saw in my parents, for the fact that my mom was addicted to prescription drugs and alcohol. When I'd go to visit my mom at a treatment center, it meant nothing for that in that moment. When I go to school and I find out at school that my mom was the, the main character in a front page article because she had stolen a cop car. That the adornments of religion meant nothing for that. But then, at the same time, I had several key encounters with God. Real moments where I saw Jesus, not physically with my eyes, but moments where I had an encounter with God where it became real and authentic. I remember at the age of nine. Actually, at the age of nine, it was a special time. It's actually the time I chose to get 
baptized in water, so this morning it's significant. But at the age of nine, I was at a worship service. Continu- even though, even though our, our life was broken and chaotic at home, we continued to go to church. We had a worship service, not a Sunday morning worship service, but like a Friday or Saturday night. And this was a worship service that went late. And I really experienced God in the service as a nine-year-old. Hey, don't discount what your kids experience. If you're a parent in this place, don't downplay what they can grasp, what they can grab a hold of. Because I remember what I experienced that night. And the real kicker was the fact that when I went home, I couldn't go to bed. And it wasn't because I was up playing video games and watching movies and strung out on soda. I just had, I had a moment with Jesus. And so there I was in my living room, me and my younger brother, he was seven. And we were crying in our living room floor. We were worshiping Jesus. We were singing songs. Soon it turned to like jubilation. We began dancing around our living room well past midnight. Like who does that as a seven and a nine-year-old? I have no idea what my parents were doing, and I don't even know where they were. I don't have a recollection of, of where my parents were. But there we were, well past midnight, just having this moment with Jesus as kids. That, that meant something to me, as I had a real encounter with Jesus. And then I remember my journey with Christ, chaos, grief, the grief of loss, the brokenness of tragedy in our home. My dad remarried. You have all this change and influx. Step-siblings. Yeah. Yeah, who would have thunk? You'd have, to, you'd have to deal with that. Step-siblings, I get shuffled around rooms. I had key moments, middle school and high school and college and now even into adulthood, key moments where I encountered God. And, it, and I began to realize there is something in Jesus that translates to Monday through Saturday. That it's not just about Sunday mornings. And so this passage specifically, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, is so close to my heart. I want us to be a church over the next 10 months that explores that question. What would it look like if we actually believe that the power of God can not only transform our lives, but transform the lives around us? Because the city of of Corinth was actually not too unlike the city of Ames. It was a bustling city of uh, a lot of commerce and trade right on the Mediterranean Sea sea, uh, near Athens. It was an important city. And they, they prided themselves in the, um, being on the, the, the cutting edge of progressive thought and the exchange of ideas, they loved the, the, uh, the buzz that, that went into being in that, in that realm. Just like here in Ames, we are a gathering place for the world. And we are a city that prides ourselves in, in the, the free-flowing exchange of ideas, which I am all for. But at the same time, Paul knew and he couldn't play the game the way the world played it. He had to come with a different strategy. So he stepped into Corinth, and he saw God move in amazing ways. He actually ministered in that city for two, three years, two to three years, for a considerable amount of time. And he said, my strategy is the power of God show up. I didn't want to convince them through my persuasive speeches, which he was really good at. He was a great mind, an intellectual um, Juggernaut. I mean, he had some of the best education academically. He could have played that game if he wanted to. But instead, he said, I want to rely only on the power of the Holy Spirit. And he saw God show up. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he's reminding them of that. But in our day, as in, as in every generation, we can get enamored with commentary and theory and opinions, which right now, I mean, we're just inundated with talking heads 
telling us how to think about things and, and the rhetoric. But that rhetoric means nothing for the brokenness that you and I face. So I want to ask the question, what would it look like if we actually began to contend for and believe the, the power of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, actually meant something for the issues that we face in our city, in our life, in our families, in our schools? Think about the issues that we're facing. Mental health is like at an all-time high. It's, it's, it's uh, disintegrating around us. What if we actually believe that the gospel is relevant to these mental health issues? These, the, the, um, the brewing um, strife and division around racism in our country. What if we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, just as Jesus stepped across the cultural boundaries 2,000 years ago, what if we believed that that gospel is still alive and real and relevant today? The fear of violence of the younger generation, what if we believed the message of Jesus Christ was actually relevant, the power of God could show up and change the hearts of a generation that are turning towards violence and confusion. What if? And the list could go on and on and on. Because we have a decision as followers of Christ. There's people that come to church on a Sunday morning. You can play the games and go through the motions, or you can go all in and say, okay, God, I want your power to move. And I, and I just decided at a young age, as I began to see before my eyes, brokenness and the motions mean nothing. I got one short life where I can see the power of God move in real and tangible ways. And that's what I've said. I'm, I'm in. I'm all in. I'm in that. I want to go there. So we're going to go there in the next couple weeks and honestly the next few months. If you have your Bibles this morning, open up to 1 Corinthians. We're going to kind of lead to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Over the next couple weeks, we will get there. That is our theme verse but I want to start in 1 Corinthians 1 and set the stage. I want to kind of give some background as we make our way into 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says in verse 18, for the sake of time, we do have water baptism this morning. We'll start in verse 18. It says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. It says, the message of the cross is foolishness. To those who haven't really had an encounter with God, it's foolishness. He draws the line that I drew when I was just nine years old. Where 20 years ago, I had this encounter and I began to see the clear delineation between theory and reality. And he says it's foolishness, the cross. The idea that God would pursue man. The idea that God would come and die a death of extravagant love for humanity. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, to those who are headed towards destruction. But we who are being saved, present progressive, you and I, you can experience today in the present tense this act of salvation and renewal, coming into the knowledge of a renewal and being a new creation today. For us, it's the power of God. When you look upon the cross and see, you see it, it's relevant to your life today. So I want to illustrate this this morning through these boxes up here on the stage. Because I believe in many ways we view our lives much like a bunch of boxes, a bunch of compartments. We got our things that we all, we're always trying to juggle. We got our hobbies. We got our friends. We're trying to make room for more stuff. And we say, hey, faith is important. You know, maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe 
Maybe you just culturally consider yourself a Christian. Maybe you have had a real significant moment in Christ, and you try to juggle it with everything else. You're like, okay, here's faith, along with my friends and my awesome hobbies. I love Taekwondo and fishing, and, and uh, of course, i got to have an, a respectable career. So you try to fit that in. You know, like Soon you begin to feel like we all feel, like my life is full. Like I don't have any room for anything else. And then you have a family, and you're like, okay, I got my family. And naturally, you know, you begin to drop things. Like, oh, yeah, my, my, my faith kind of got dropped, or my family or my career. There it is. And you begin to kind of juggle things around. You're like, I don't got space for all this. You know what I call this? It's what, exactly what Paul called it. When faith becomes just another box in our lives, another compartment in our lives, it's actually foolishness. I'm not trying to be harsh. It's Paul, Paul who actually said it. When we, tra- when we treat Faith is a simple compartment of our life. It's nothing but foolishness. I would contend this morning that there's something more that you can experience. And it's really our main idea for this morning. Our main idea is this. The goodness of Jesus' message cannot be contained in a box. It can't be. And you'll never get it. It'll never move beyond Sunday morning churchianity. It never will. If you continue to view it as just another compartment that you're trying to juggle with everything else, it'll get dropped. It'll be this constant roller coaster of emotional commitments to the Lord, vows that you make to people around you, but then it never ends up translating to anything tangible in your lives when it's simply a box. I want us to unpack that, that idea this morning. So let's keep reading. Verses 19 through 21, it says, As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. That's what he says in Isaiah. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. So when we think of our faith in Jesus Christ as just another box, really we are, we are walking in pride. Because a box signifies something that's quantifiable, measurable, neat, and tidy. And so much of just Sunday morning Christianity, if that's what our faith is contained to, that's what it is. It's this calculatable, predictable motions that fit in a nice, tidy box. You don't don't want it to spill out of that in any way. You don't want it to affect anything else. It just sits there. It's got its slot. You pay your dues. You put your time in. And then you move on with the rest of your life. What Paul calls that is pride. And really, if you stop and think about it, it doesn't make much sense. If we actually believe the message that we espouse, the idea that the God-man would come and live life amongst us. All other religious systems speak of a story or an explanation of our existence that is us trying to attain favor from God through our works, through what we do, through our effort, through us trying to wave our arms hard enough to gain his attention. But Jesus came and he told a completely different story, a completely different message of God's goodness towards humanity, that we had, we had uh, nothing, we, there was nothing we could do to deserve it. God coming towards us, pursuing us, because he so wanted relationship with us. 
That's what he created us, created us for, to actually live in relationship with us and communion with us. And so he turns all the religious systems on head, and he says, I'm going to pursue you. And so it's not an intellectual pursuit. It actually, when it comes to our intellect, it's an about face. The word repentance that John the Baptist and Jesus came and declared, that idea of repentance is actually a changing of mind. Literally, that's what it means. To change one's mind, resulting in a changed lifestyle. So actually, in our intellectual pursuit, it's a death. It's a surrendering of our intellectual pursuit to say, okay, God, I can't figure you out completely. And so I'm trusting you from this day forward, and I repent. It's saying, God, I can't fit you in this small box of my life. You are now Lord and master of everything in my life. Let's keep reading. Verse 22, it says, It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. It is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles, or the non-Jews, say it's all nonsense. But to those who are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. So Paul begins to flesh out two examples of this, of this spiritual pride where we begin to feel like God, God can fit in a box. One is this pursuit of trying to, um, an intellectual pursuit, trying to figure God out. Some say, you know, if I can, if I can understand more of God, if I can philosophize my way to understanding God in a more clear, concise way, then I'll really surrender my life. Then it'll mean something more. He says that's a dead end. You'll never fully figure out God. I'm not saying when you pursue Jesus, you throw out your intellect. Trust me, I'm not saying that. I, I appreciate apologetics. I appreciate thoughtfulness. And I believe you can be thoughtful in your pursuit of Jesus Christ, but it cannot be solely an intellectual pursuit. That in and of itself will lead you towards trying to fit God into a box. Because you'll, you'll never reach it where everything is completely understood. On the other side of the spectrum, he, he talks to those who are always looking for another sign, another raw display of God's miraculous power. And they say, if God speaks to me audibly in a moment, then I'll surrender my life. Or if God heals me of this one thing or does this miraculous thing in my life, then I will turn to God. And that's actually a dead end as well. And we are a church that 100% affirms God's miraculous power to show up and touch you, touch your body, heal, change your situation. But that in and of itself is trying to squeeze God into a box. He's not a genie in a bottle. Actually, Jesus speaks to that very hard issue in Matthew chapter 11. He's speaking to these towns who had experienced amazing miracles, amazing signs and wonders. He said, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, who, those were towns in the Old Testament that had been uh, experienced really horrible judgment from God, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Jesus tells them how it is. They had experienced the miraculous, and still their hearts had not turned to God. So when our hearts are set towards always wanting something more, always wanting some other explanation or some other sign or wonder, when those are our pursuits, we are trying to fit God in a box of sorts. 
We are a church that we pursue signs and wonders, not for signs and wonders sake, but because Jesus demonstrated them. Signs and wonders followed his ministry, and we believe that on a Sunday morning, God can show up and move, do the miraculous. And as we leave from this place Monday through Saturday, we believe the miraculous, God's healing power can translate to our lives. But those are not our pursuits in and of themselves. Let's keep reading verse 26. It says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, a few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring nothing, bring them to, to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. I believe that God brings real life transformation to our entire lives. That translates to freedom from sin. That includes healing in our bodies. That means freedom from addictions. That means freedom from the, the, um, the cycles that we get in, in our own minds, the scripts that continue to play on. on our, I believe in freedom. And Paul talks about that raw power that the cross of Jesus Christ can mean to, you, to our lives together. So the goodness of Jesus' message cannot be contained in a box. And here's really the final idea for this morning, that his goodness experience becomes really the foundation of our life. This is how we make sense of it all. And I believe that the message of Jesus Christ is the most concise, um, the, most, uh, the best explanation for our existence as humans. I really believe that. And I believe that we can use our minds to... Um, to understand our existence, and, and uh, I believe in using our intellect. But this is, this is what really makes sense of, of it all. When we believe that, when we take Jesus out of being in a box that's, that's tidy and clean and calculatable and predictable, and we actually allow him to now be the foundation of our life, the goodness of Jesus now is actually what makes sense of everything. This becomes the foundation. Yeah, then you, you put faith back on there. Yeah, you can, you can have room for friends in your life. Yeah, you have family and career. And you have hobbies. And when you allow actually the goodness of Jesus to be the foundation instead of just another box, it actually makes everything just make sense. It's not something you're just trying to cram into your life. Now it becomes the fabric of it all that holds it all together. It becomes the foundation that just makes it all fit together the way it's supposed to. Now the goodness of Jesus translates to family. Now the goodness of Jesus translates to my career and my calling and what God's called us to in the marketplace. Now the goodness of Jesus means something to my kids' lives, to my friends' lives, even to our hobbies you know, God likes for you to have a good time. He's not, a, po he's not a, a grumpy old guy up in heaven. He likes for you to have a good time. He cares about your hobbies. 
What would it look like if you invited the goodness of Jesus even into your recreational pursuits? Something you don't think about probably too often, but I would invite us in the next 10 months to ask these questions. What would it look like if the goodness of Jesus began to actually be experienced in all these aspects of our life? And it wasn't just confined to a box. I would actually contend that God loves to display his goodness in the most difficult places in our life. And I would believe this morning that there are areas in your life that you feel like are, at this point, irrelevant to the power of God. Because you feel like they're too far, um, they're too far gone, they're too hopeless. You've been stuck in the muck and the mire and the brokenness of whatever it is for too long to believe the goodness of Jesus could translate to that. I want to bring a different message to you this morning. The cross of Jesus Christ is, has the power to translate even into those issues and those situations. I want to end with his story. It's a story of a hero of mine named David Wilkerson. He's a pastor that passed away a number of years ago now. But in 1958, David Wilkerson found himself in a comfortable place as a follower of Jesus. Like many of us find ourselves, we are blessed. Amen? We are so blessed that we live in the day in which we live, that we, bl- that we live in a, a free country. We, we do well here in the place in which we live in Iowa. I was a comfortable place. And Pastor David, he found himself in a similar place in rural Pennsylvania. It was like week after week, he found them going through the motions. And he found that over time, it would be easy for, us to, for, them, for this congregation to just kind of exist together nodding and smiling and putting on our best and then leaving again. But something began brewing in his heart. Deep into the evenings, this would go home with him. As he left the office and he'd go home, this discontentment, this kind of holy discontent would begin brewing in his heart. It was finally in 1958 that David Wilkerson drove for the first time to the heart of New York City because he had seen a, a newspaper article of these gang uh, killings that had been happening over a period of weeks, over a number of weeks. So he traveled to New York City, and he, he wanted to see it with his own eyes. And he was blown away by the destruction, the chaos that was taking place in the city. Just a short drive away from their quaint little tidy congregation, he realized the darkness and the brokenness was right there. And he's like, there, we, can't, we cannot just exist. We cannot just go on going through the motions. There has to be something more. And he began to make regular trips then to New York City. And he began to believe that God could do something in the, in the lives of those gang members. And it was over the next number of years that he began to see uh, amazing life transformation take place in a number of gang members' lives. So much so that he, he opened, he quit his, the congregation in Pennsylvania and he opened up a, what they call a Teen Challenge Center to help these, these kids come off the street and begin a new life in Christ. And David Wilkerson became known around the world as a man of God that believed for, for God to do big things, that the power of God was relevant, even to the darkest situations. And I would just ask the question, what would it look like if you began to believe that the power of God was relevant to the most difficult situations that you faced in your life. Addictions, mental health issues, physical ailments, broken relationships. What would it look like 
We began to believe that the power of God was relevant to those situations. So in the weeks to come, I, I want us to plant these prayer cards someplace in your life, and you're coming and you're going, the rhythm of your week. Maybe it's in your car, maybe it's in your bathroom mirror, maybe it's on your um, kitchen refrigerator, somewhere where you can be reminded of Paul's example for us. That he was not content with just the message being spoken about and being theorized, but instead he, he wanted to experience the power of God in his life and in the lives of of the Corinthian believers. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.